same old trouble Villains always knocking at the door Pretty pictures on the page But nothing ever stays the same Thank you, Vandello, and welcome once again to Graphically Novel. My name is Josh Wafta, a.k.a. Fallout Fury. And with me, as always, is my Moriarty, my Ooh. hide to my Jekyll, the more in more, more. <laughs> More! More! It's bear! I get weird compliments this time. Compliments I'm okay with. <laughs> and with us, as usual, the lovely and talented R. Miss Mina Murray slash Harker. <laughs> Ms. Jennifer Howland. Oh, thank you very much. And it's my pleasure to introduce our guest. Not inter- inter, inter our guest. <laughs> <laughs> Different podcast. Different podcast, yeah. Well, you did say I was Oh, so. yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we have a returning guest with us today. You have to go to Rosa Cook School for that. <laughs> <laughs> Reed, thank you for joining us again. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. Uh, this one was uh, a little more out of the box than we've done previously, or at least I've done with you guys. So I'm also excited, almost ecstatic, for the fact that we actually have all of our guests in the same room. In the same room? Vaccinated? I know, it's crazy. Right? It uh, is nuts! It's so nice to see people again. It's so nice. <laughs> hey, this is a thing that we're doing. Remember when oh, people yeah. did things? Right? We used to get together and, like, do things together. Yeah. So, uh, chin chin. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Whether it be beer or wine. So today, as I mentioned, we are doing more, more. Possibly, I think, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> we said this, like, twice before. This is our last. Well, I keep bringing this one up as the example of, well, if we do that one, it will be the last. Because this is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Mr. Alan Moore. Uh, the 2003 movie, also a uh, uh, what we will be discussing for the media aspect, but the first volume. In what I found are four volumes, the Black Dossier and the Nemo Trilogy are all official <laughs> works well, in this. Because it's more and you can't have... Like, less more. Yeah, you can't have less more. You always have to have more more. <laughs> it's a lot bigger than I remembered. I've got one, two, and the Black Dossier. I didn't know that it kept going. Yeah, there's a well, volume three four. and four yeah. um, that were done in the mid-2000s. Uh, and actually by three, yeah, there's like Mary Poppins is involved and Harry Potter's in there. Wow. And, yeah. If you were a British star in any shape of the word, you were involved. Yeah. Well, and let's... Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about it. Reed, how long has it been since you read this last, or was this your first time? Um, so I read this. Um, this was actually when I read this book. Um, back in I think like 2007, 2008. Um, because I was wandering around limited edition, and I was like, "Leave you Extraordinary gentlemen. I love that movie. This is gonna be great." First time I ran into Alan Moore. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I have are you okay? It. Are you sure? Because you just <laughs> went through a wall, right? <laughs> Yeah, it, it was uh, it was a trip. Uh, I I obviously enjoyed it because I bought more, but more, man, more, more, more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, We're just gonna call this episode "Gone in 60 Pages." I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
191. One. Yeah. It didn't so seem it, that long, really. It, it, no, I, have, I have read it before, but it's been over a decade since I read it, and oh man, there were things that I had forgotten. So how long since you had watched the movie? Um, I saw the movie, actually, in theaters when it came out. That was the last time I watched okay. it. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, uh, really? Because that's, like, this is a movie that I watch on the regular. Yeah. No, I, it's one that I, I caught in theaters and then just never ended up picking up again, but I love crappy action movies, so... <laughs> I, I remember it fondly. Yeah. <laughs> You're in very good Yeah. Company. Uh, Bear, how, uh, this was your first reading, right? This was my first reading. I was... Did actually... it, was it on the Swamp Thing scale for you, or was it on the From Hell scale? It was really kind of halfway in between, <laughs> and I think that's probably because his writing was halfway in between, I think, so I think we're seeing kind of the evolution, because uh, I know that... Going through the timeline, he wrote From Hell First and all of its like ten. Well, I got like that wasn't his first work, but he wrote that before this, right? Uh, and all of those ten graphic novels worth of that I didn't read. Sorry, Luke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you could kind of see the evolution of how things were going because this didn't move as quickly as Swamp Thing did, but it didn't move as slow as From Hell did. Yeah, well. From Hell was written in serial form, actually, and it was from 98, uh, 90, yeah, 1989 to 1998. Oh, so we were, it was in the middle of... Right, so he was writing everything else. I think Swamp Thing actually came just before that, his run on Swamp Thing that we covered. But yeah, definitely a different, more... Pace. Right, and and I'm not really what when somebody would probably, yeah, after you know me for a while, would somebody would probably call a literary expert, but I was actually super enthusiastic about all the literary aspects that in here. Um, when I got into audiobooks, when I discovered I could listen to audiobooks and not fall asleep, like, it, you know, after my 30s when I realized I couldn't read anything anymore without being 10 pages in and just passing out, the things that I started with were a bunch of the classics. So I started doing Sherlock Holmes, don't do that, it's not good. Um, <laughs> uh, I did Melville, you know, I did Moby Dick. Uh, my take on that is read the first 40 chapters, skip the next 60, and then jump in somewhere about chapter hundred and read to the end and you're good but that just ties straight in like all of the classics that I read this this had a really good feel for me because everything that I had recently read was a bunch of these classics that tie straight into this graphic novel uh, I love Invisible Man I love Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, I haven't done 50,000 Leagues Under the Sea yet 40,000 40, Leagues Under the Sea yet sorry somebody's gonna kick me for that um, but okay, I got you. you know it was uh, that's that's the next on my list you know so it was all of these things popping up Dracula? and all these I, I did Dracula Bram Stoker's Dracula is great for about the first half of the book and then it's awful mm -hmm. um <laughs> but you know all of these things just keep tying in and I'm just like oh this is amazing oh this is amazing I keep catching all these little literary references and I'm just like oh like yeah I just want to read some more 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 <laughs> now Jen this is a, one of the few that when we got together you had these books yeah. I did not yeah. and you, so you have read these before yes well and you know to, to come completely clean I have not read them for for a very long time. It was probably the early 2000s when I actually read them, and I have not cracked them since. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I reviewed volume one today. Um, I loved the art style. They were gifts. Someone gave them to me. When the movie was um, announced, someone gave me the comics because, you know, I have friends who are like, no, you have to read it first. Wait, you have friends? Before In this day and age? I know, right? right? Before you see the movie, you have have to read the source material, which I, you know, I'm, I don't hold hard and fast to that rule. Right, me either. <laughs> but um, 
I was, you know, I have to say that I was a little disappointed in both after seeing the movie. Both the movie and the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there were parts of the movie that I thought were really brilliant that that was not included in the graphic novel. Um, And yet there were parts of the graphic novel that, oh my God, if we would have put these into the movie, we would have made the movie so much better. Yes. There's a lot in the novel, though, they couldn't do in that targeted style of movie. Not without a hard R. Not without a hard R. And hard R action movies didn't make money in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. Like, it it, it didn't. But to remake that movie today, you could almost straight up follow the entire timeline, or the entire Mm -hmm. progression of the first graphic novel and make it an amazing movie. I would argue you can make an amazing HBO miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I I don't think you would get a good release just because of some of the content in the graphic novel. Like, the the levels of casual, like, the levels of casual racism and sexual assault in the novel are Game of Thrones and beyond. Yes. Understandable, Um, I would say beyond. I would say Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones. Okay, so yeah, HBO, you could get away with it. But like, as Jen was mentioning earlier, that kind of fit the time that it was written in. Well, that it was set in. It was set in. Yeah, that it was written in. I apologize, yeah. Yeah. It, It somewhat fits the time that it's set in, but only if you are holding very tightly to that upper crust English perspective. Yes. So, it, did it have to be written with that perspective? Uh, I don't know. But there are also elements that actually fit very well with today's politics, because if you look at the graphic novel, the person who's in charge is not Alan Quartermain, like in the movie. Yes. It's Mina Harker, so the woman yes. is in charge for right. 75 to 80% of the, the actual graphic novel. The one person of color that's in there has his has plenty of moments. He's basically the second in command and has plenty of moments where he's like, no, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be the servant. I'm not going to be the beggar. Right. No, we're not doing this anymore. Right. And there are also, okay, so getting back and then I'll, I'll come back to this. Um, this is the first time that I read it. Um, and actually, yeah, I, I mean, and it, again, been on our bookshelf for eight years because that's how well, long we've long been together. Yeah. We've been. Yes. Together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, it, it's something that I was always like, oh yeah, I got to get to that eventually. And then this was the impetus to actually read it. And I will say on the, on the scale of Alan Moore stuff, I would put this towards the top. This just really spoke to me. I but agree. again, I was an English major. So right. like I'm going through and I can't even help it. Every time a name is mentioned, I have my computer right here. I'm reading it on this screen. I'm looking up Wikipedia on this screen to figure out who that person is and where I know that name. And there's a bunch of stuff I haven't read. But I have an entire page of notes just on who these people are. Everyone exactly. even casually mentioned is a fictitious, is, is someone from fiction. I was literally sitting there with the graphic novel, like, kind of cradled in one arm and my phone in the other hand going, why, why do I know, why do I know August Dupin? Why, why, oh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, I did so much Poe in high school, how did I not remember this name? Well, and that's the thing is, what we were just talking about with the, the not just the casual racism, but the sexual assault, um, a lot of those things. More actually, if you know the characters that are involved, is leaning heavy into that. There is a there's a scene in um, uh, the girls' school, which I'm going to keep this kind of vague, but uh, it, it is like a one-panel thing where a girl named Olive is getting basically whipped.
caned uh, on her caned. bare on yeah. her, caned on her bare ass. Um, everyone else in that house, almost everyone else, uh, comes from Victorian erotica, specifically the Pearl, which was like a big thing about yeah. like dominatrices and, and all this. That so was like one I did not notice, but it was yeah. entirely entertaining. Um, the girl getting whipped though, her name is Olive Chancellor. She comes from a book called The Bostonians, which was by Henry James, and it was about a woman who gets caught up in the women's suffragist movement and becomes like a reformer, a social reformer for uh, women's suffrage. So Moore is intentionally putting a woman who is known as a a suffragist, like a good woman, you know, if you're if you're sure. to look at the the message, and she's in a you know uh, submissive position to a uh, Victorian dominatrix whipping her ass. But and I get that, but if we put this into the context of the time in which it was written, that's what would have happened to her. Well, in in Victorian erotica. Okay. Yes. yes. All yes. right. Thank you. That's and, a better clarification. But I do think it is an interesting choice to put because Henry James, brilliant, brilliant author, to pull a character from a Henry James book and put them into put them into that situation is right. Yeah. Like later, Pollyanna. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Like. Oh, well... Okay. I mean, yeah. So it's he is very intentional with who is the master and who is the slave, for for lack of better term. He was setting term. up a pattern. He was. Okay. Um. Now, is that pattern great to set up? Yeah. I mean, even the depictions of things like Captain Nemo. Captain Nemo's depiction, very good in both. By the way, I'll say in the movie and the comic, pretty similar. Is it cringeworthy in the movie? Yeah, but it's also Captain Nemo. He's literally a caricature of a mad. Arab during that time, like. Well, do they ever Indian? Ex- Indian. Yeah, Indian, yeah. Indian. Do they ever actually explain why he's working for the league? Because I mean, they set up in his backstory in in the book, at least, that Nemo is a rebel. Like he he's part of of the Indian rebellion before the era of Gandhi against British rule. And I don't know that they ever tie in why he's they bothering to help out brief, the colonials. It's very brief. I don't remember the exact why he said, but it, it was literally like a sentence or two that was kind of vague, kind of mysterious, and is like, I have my own reasons, basically. Okay. My understanding, because everyone else that was a criminal, which Nemo is, because he's a pirate, um, was working off of a pardon. So, you know, Jekyll, uh, Jekyll and, uh, and the Invisible Man are working off of a a pardon and, and a cure. Yes. Um, but maybe Nemo's working on, like, basically going back to piracy and he's working on a script to he was officially a buccaneer Oh, you, you think he's looking looking for a letter of Mark? Yeah. <laughs> well, wouldn't be too far outside of the box for what they do in the rest of it. That's fair. And tying into you know, or privateer, British privateer, right. you know. Well, that, that's exactly what yeah, a letter exactly. of Mark is. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, if you're looking at Nemo as a, as a literary character, his whole motivation is revenge against the British Empire. Right. And so you know, maybe you could take from that that he, he's joining this to I don't know just to, to get intel. Well. Well, maybe to take it down from the inside. Right. But also, this league operates outside of the British Empire. Right. Which is another reason that he might, even though they say they're doing everything for King and Queen and country. And, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, I, I think that it's possible that he sees that as an opportunity to take the government. Down. I mean, and ultimately, at the end of at least book one, they do do serious damage to, like, government officials within the Empire. Right. So, it, it may be that he's seeing it as a way to limit the evil of the Empire. And so, so, okay, possible explanation. So, jumping back to the movie, um, we got into 
this a little bit, but I I actually had this uh, written down as a point to make. I like this. I think this is a fun movie. Like this is definitely like Bear would say. Somebody just kind of pop on and be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna watch an action movie." That's like you know. And I remember not having liked it as much, but you know, in 2003 I was 24. So mm-hmm. this came out shortly after we were at the hilltop. Yeah, I was 20. Five or twenty six, yeah, depending on when it came out. And so I, I, I don't know how much of that was I actually didn't enjoy it, and how much of that was everyone else said they hated it. Uh, I actually never saw this in the theater, surprisingly. Oh, I, I sure did because it had Sean Connery in it, and I was a huge Sean Connery fan. Yep, same. Yeah, I'm also a little bit entertained because, like, knowing the history of Sean Connery, like in his personal life, kind of makes me wonder if he looked at if they ever made him a look at the graphic novel or not, and b if he looked at the script and said, no, 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 if I'm going to be quarterman, I, I'm the top build here. We got to make this better. Well, you know, I wonder if that was him or if that was actually the director. Yeah, I, I would lean towards that being yeah. the director and that being just Hollywood at the time. Yeah. Because if you look at some of the other things they did with Mina, like, she's very much the femme fatale. She's not written as a leader. She's not written as a tactician. She's not even... Like, they mention that she's a scientist, but she doesn't actually do any science except for the powder well, on the yeah. ship. Like, and that's in cer- it. In certain points, she's a liability. Yeah. Well, but they In the movie. It, but also in the, in the graphic novel. She appears to be a liability several times. Time. Right. But really, she's the one that's, for the most part, leading this entire, right, right. what did she call it at the, uh, menagerie? Yeah. yeah. Well, I she mean, didn't call it that, Mr. Bond. Did. Yeah. So, <laughs> she called it something else. There yeah. was a different word she used, I can't remember what it was. Well, and, uh, the, the actress, and I knew, I knew this, I just had to remember the name of the TV show. The actress who played, uh, Mina was Peta Wilson, who spent how many years on La Femme Nikita mm-hmm. as Nikita? So, like, it's also, like, Type she was just coming for... off of that. Right. And you know you you're moving her into this role, but people know her as like the example yeah, of a fem, yeah. femme fatale at the yeah. time. So you gotta get Mina yeah. to do a little bit more of that right. instead of in the comic she is like a jack, almost a jack of all trades. She right. does a lot right. to move the story forward and to yes. to bring the team together. And when there are issues, she's the one that kind of addresses it. I mean, extremely. Yeah, they, they kind of took a lot of that away and gave it to Connery, who was like, ah, bolster up. Like, well, the <laughs> other thing, the other difference between the, the graphic and, and the movie was in in the book, Quartermain is wasting away. Yeah. You know, he's He's like, a frail old man a with an elephant gun. Well, and but an opium the thing is, is like, if you notice throughout the book, he goes from this gaunt, frail thing to like, like, massively sturdy. Yeah, yeah. You you know, um, but yeah, in the movie, he's just basically hiding out from his demons. You know, yeah. he's not on I a sickbed. Yeah, he's not. He's not a drug addict that you right. can tell. Um, you know, he's just basically hiding from his demons. So, you know, there's a lot of. You know, I, I feel like the only one that they really made look bad, as they did in the. You know, this similarly was the Invisible Man. Not oh, not same, not, not as same, bad. Not no. the same Invisible Man. Because no. It is a different Invisible But the Invisible Man and uh, Dr. Jack yeah. and Mr. Hyde. Well, Mr. Hyde. Although, basically. that's they the other thing. They redeemed him in the movie. They redeemed him a lot more in the movie. Because yeah. there is a kind of a scene of sort of redemption in the comic. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I'm ripping people in half now. Mm-hmm. On your behalf. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's the whole reason that Hyde goes with them is they they introduce him to target rich environs. Yeah, right. that's yeah, that's, yeah. It. that's Hyde's yeah. whole motivation. I still can't help but love everything between the movie and the graphic novel that they do with Jekyll and Hyde because it is a direct line of comparison to my favorite character, which is the Hulk. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The the Hulk is is. Is literally thousand percent Jekyll and Hyde. It's just modern yeah. day, especially if you go back to like Grey Hulk stuff, and yeah. if you go to the the original story of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, yeah. and they mention it uh, in the graphic novel where Jekyll actually says in one of the panels, he says, "Did you know I was once taller than he was?" Yeah, it was the same thing with Banner and Grey Hulk because uh, Grey Hulk at one point in time was just a shriveled little husk of an evil little man that just eventually just evolved into something bigger. So this is direct correlation for all the rest of you Hulk fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess um, the other thought that I had is other examples in media and literature where there's, like, a super smash-up like this. I mean, because this is the first example I can think of, of like, of, of me being aware of that wasn't, like, the Avengers. You know, that's a bunch of things that's owned by the same. And then, as I got into it, um, as we have discussed a lot this season, for one reason or another, um, uh, I thought of Agatha Christie, and I thought of um, Perot, Perot. Perot. Thank you. And Miss Marple. And I could have sworn that they had met. Not in any novel they didn't. They did in a movie. Yeah. And they only looked at each other and, like, yeah. he winked at her. Yeah. And that was it. Um, But... When it comes to literature, there's a huge movement now, especially for things... Amusingly, Sherlock Holmes and Cthulhu Mythos seem to be a huge... The only reason that I can... Okay, I'll go ahead, Reed. Well, so, like, the Sherlock Holmes and Cthulhu Mythos has been a thing for about five, maybe eight years now. It's been cropping up in literature for a while, and it's starting to move into um, all other media. It's a really hard needle to thread, though, because in literature, it can be done because we can see inside Sherlock's head and see how the ultimate logician navigates a world where madness is real. Where, right. Where, like, madness made manifest exists. Film or, or small screen adaptations have not succeeded nearly so well on that front. Like, I mean, they're starting to, though, because you have things like, especially with the BBC, they've done a lot because you have uh, the, the BBC Sherlock series, which I think does a brilliant job of explaining Sherlock Holmes. It does. It does, but it doesn't. For life. Right. It doesn't include. It's not blending with the mythos. Right. The, there's a new example that just actually dropped on Netflix not it's long terrible. ago. Oh, the, irregu- the Irregulars is yes. terrible? It's I haven't, have not watched awful. it yet. I'm two episodes deep, and, like, uh, they're, like, it's really cool because it does racially blind casting, and that's a very cool thing to see. Um, but their characterizations of, like, what they do to, um, not Holmes, uh, Watson. Watson, what they do to Watson in that, they, they turn Watson into this purely emotionally driven, um, man of outrage. Oh. Like, and he's... He's cruel and manipulative. And I'm like, these are all things that are not Watson. We don't get to see any redeeming qualities from him. He's just manipulating these street children for his own personal gain. And that's a bummer, because that that could have hit the mark, you know, as we're talking about. Because I know it deals with, like, supernatural elements yeah. a lot. And it's all about the Sherlock Holmes, basically, children children's spy network. I mean, I, I've you know. seen it. I mean, honestly, it looks like somebody went, oh, superheroes are a big thing. Game of Thrones used to be a 
big thing. Let's take the spider from Game of Thrones and incorporate that into some superheroes. Let's throw it all in Victorian England with the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock series and go, go. So the better, two better examples that I have for, for this being done is... I should also quantify that with, I haven't seen this yet. That's just what my, my right. hot take on the preview is. Uh, is Penny, Penny okay. Dreadful and Once Upon a Time. Um, I'll give you those. Penny Dreadful's pretty damn good. Yeah, we've only gotten, watched the first episode uh, the first season mm-hmm. and we need to watch more it's been on our list but of course homework for this show uh and you know if, if we ever if we ever do that that book season that you've been looking for I, Bear, I, yeah we'll get we'll get around to dune sooner or later it might just be a bonus episode well then we could read a bunch of penny dreadfuls and watch penny dreadful um <laughs> but i mean it's it's again the the mixing of those characters an example that i had where it's actually history and uh and and literature and i'm gonna get in trouble with reed because we'll see how it he thinks about this. Black Sail. Oh boy. Which was a prequel to Treasure Island with the crew, like from Treasure Island, like uh, Flint's crew, mixed with real life pirates. It, like, I, oh boy. Alright, so Black Sail's, like, the cinematography that... that... To fill people in really quick, I'm, I'm gonna jump over Reed just to say, he and I are both huge fans of pirates and piracy. Yeah. He is more on the historical side. I'm willing to forgive a hell of a lot more for the sake of story. Listen, uh, I, I remember many, many sessions of the 7th C tabletop role-playing game that just went sideways. <laughs> so, I, I will say, like, Black Sails, while it is not historically accurate, is a very well-done storytelling, um, playing with a established canon in Treasure Island and throwing in historical characters. Because, like, the, 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 char- like the, the historical individual of Captain Vane. Like, he's a bloodthirsty monster in reality. And so they they did a really good job using him in that series. So I, I Black Sails, I mean, yes, it's a drama. They take liberties, but on the whole, it's pretty well done. It's a lot of fun. Well, and it was coming off of the same producer and team success with Viking, which again started to get into. Vikings I have more criticisms for. Well, you're you're also way more historically Oh yeah. Invested. They, they 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 blend about three hundred years of history into a couple of decades there. So for for more on how much Reed uh, goes into history, uh, check out our episode on Hellboy. And <laughs> why why in the first twenty seconds he hated that movie? Okay, no, and and it needs to be fair. The Hellboy reboots. Yes, the Hellboy yes. reboot. The first two, like Del Toro, did. Oh man, amazing work. Because yeah. Del Toro. Oh, that's only because you got a hard on for Changeling. That's all. I Changeling so, White Wolf yeah. tabletop. <laughs> I loved the new reboot of Hellboy. Uh. No, he was historical and armor types and yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so. And, and, you know, going back to, like, Once Upon a Time and uh, a bunch of these things that weave together, established stories that you know and somehow changing it a little bit more. It's kind of what, uh, in our episode on Sabrina, last episode, actually, we talked about, uh, no, two episodes ago. We talked about... Um, You're usually the one correcting me on I know. Line, so. On remixes. Um, Jason talks specifically about how he likes covers and he likes remixes. And the things that you like are still out there. And just because someone reinvented it does not mean those things disappeared. They are still out there. It's one of my favorite things. It's yeah. variations on a theme. Right. You know, it's like we can have we can have this one thing. And yeah, it's really cool. But what if we just tweaked this? How much does that change storyline? Right. How much does that change plot right. line? How much does it change... Yeah. There's a... 
other stuff. There's a comic book series that was done similar style with all of the blending, and it went on for forever, and I can't remember the name right now. Fables? Fables, there we go. Thank you. Fables is... Man, eventually somebody is going to wise the fuck up and make that into a a TV series. um, Tears are welling up in my eye. I know. (laughs) And we'll be able to cover it for this show, because Fables is another one, another comic series. Lock and Key. When they did Lock and Key. Again, I'm about to cry. It's so good. (laughs) If they would do Fables... Right. Ugh. Right. The same same team that did Lock yeah. and Key yes. doing Fables. Yes. Fables would be like your your first four seasons of Fables would be amazing, but that comic gets weird after a while. It, it redeems itself like, by the end. Kind of like True Blood, where you start watching, you're like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" And then you're like, oh, and then, then there's fucked up fairies." And no, you get through that and you're fine. Which just orgy? Keep going. <laughs> just you keep going for Pam. All right. So there's, there's one so if you see that there uh, witch orgy, don't stop. Just keep. Keep going on through. <laughs> Roll right on through that. To, to pull us back to the, the, the book a little bit, though, there is a theme that we need to kind of discuss at least a little on this, in that, like, the movie really doesn't touch on it. The movie is, this is a straight-up action movie. We're going to have fun with it and bring in all these interesting other characters. But the book, because it's Alan Moore, there's probably about six layers of what's going on. There's a bunch of different characters. I didn't know about the stuff from the Pearl or the girls' school. That's really cool. But we need to talk at least a little bit about about Alan Moore's political perspective coming into his writing style. Because bringing in all of these different perspectives and writing in the harsh reality style that he does, like, this is not a nice world. These are not nice people at all, any of them. You really weren't here or paying attention for our From Hell episode, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Now, we, uh, we, we, in fact, have, have discussed Alan Moore, and if this is the first Moore Moore episode, you know, it, it, awesome because we will go over it again. But yeah, he's a crazy old fucking wizard. Thing, yeah. Go back well, and listen to From Hell. You, go back. You, yes, he's a crazy wizard, and he's he's full on bug nuts. But at least in this incarnation of his writing, the first book, we're not going anywhere else on this one. Like the perspective that he presents of Victorian England is terrible, and I, I have to ask the question of: Is this him criticizing the people that idealize this, or is this him just writing terrible characters? because he likes writing terrible characters. Well, I, I think that it's a little bit different because if you look at the art and how they tra- portray old blighty or London, <laughs> yeah. um, it's very, it's a mix of Victoriana and futuristic. It's not real. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real not, it's alien. not meant, yeah, it's not meant to be a historical fiction piece. They, I think that he's using Victoriana and esoteric Victoriana. Okay. Uh, to create this world. It's almost as if he's pulled London as a character the yes. same way that he's pulled all of these other fictitious characters. Because yes. he's even specifically avoided, <gasps> like, steam. London style. Danny the Street. Yes, oh. well, but not well, as cool. Not as not cool. Because <laughs> yeah. he's, he's even specifically avoided, like, steampunk-style um, art and, you know, mi- yes, miscellaneous. Yes, but cor- correlations yeah. have been made. Right, because, because Nemo... Of, yeah. Because of, and, you know, I think... Mainly because of, I think, because of Nemo. No, but it's also, it's the whole, like, the, the element, the anti-gravity element and all of the... It's right. not just Nemo, it's the other... And very early on, it's mentioned 
mentioned that uh, Tesla and Edison are both working to create gadgets for the league. Right. So it is. It is. And that is like the basis of steampunk. <laughs> it's steampunky and what steampunk originally started out as. It's almost more Lovecraftian. But that's kind of steampunk. Steampunk at it at its genesis was what if we take all of the fashion from Victorian Trading, era, yeah. but then make these crazy wacky, you know, like here's a typewriter, but it's a steam typewriter. Or, Just glue you know, some gears kind of... on it and call it steam. <laughs> okay, that's what it became. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I was looking at. Right. <laughs> That's what it became, but when it started, it was like, well, what if, you know, what if we were in the Victorian era, and we, because that's a time period where, you know, the Industrial Revolution, when things mm-hmm. just like, man's movement forward in technology took a huge leap at that point in time in history, mm. and that's kind of what steampunk is. It's like, well, how do we take these things that were, that, that were familiar from that time, but make them advanced? Right. And that's really what was happening so, in this and, it, and it's similar like in other areas because you look at steampunk and it's now been around for so long that it fractures into it you could technically say that fallout is an offshoot of steampunk where instead of steam technology or electrical or the the uh, yeah, it's atomic you know, punk. it's yeah. atomic punk. right yeah and that's exactly what it is. Like yeah. that's because you've got your steampunk, you've got diesel punk, you've got atomic, yeah. and there's there's all. You're right. There are all of these subgenres. It's like what happened with metal back in like the right. 80s and 90s. Yeah. Right. And then you have and see the, that doesn't even register in my brain because when I look at Fallout, I go, "That's post-apocalyptic. What the fuck are you guys even talking?" about? Well, but the world before that. If you look at yeah. the history of Fallout, no, it, it yeah, no, splits. my, my yeah. brain is just like, what subgenres of steampunk? Are you fucking daft? <laughs> and then you have the Dishonored games, which are whale oil punk. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear you say that. Oh no, drink my wine. It is a thing. It's it, it's hundred percent a thing, and I love that series. By the way. <laughs> it's so well done. Yeah, the world building is amazing. I mean, it's even got elements of Cthulhu in there because yeah. that, you say that whale oil punk, and my brain goes straight back to Melville, and I'm like, no, I'm not reading Moby Dick again. <laughs> Not going back but there. This, you can't make me! <laughs> <laughs> but in this one, the whales are intelligent. Yeah. They fight back. Okay, that could be more entertaining, but I'm not reading 40 fucking chapters of fucking <laughs> how to build a whaling ship. No, no, no. You're teleporting around and assassinating people while you learn about the world. It's it's a lot better. It's a video game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we, we've talked about it a lot, but I'm just going through and I just wanted to say if people are interested in reading this book and you are uh, a literary uh, person, I just have a list here and I stopped after like 90 pages. So I didn't go the whole way, but here are just some of the characters that you will run into in the first volume. So um, James Bond is not in this. His father is. Um, or at least the progenitor bond. The progenitor bond. Yeah. Uh, Mina Harker. Uh, M from, again, Bond. Uh, Quartermain. Captain Nemo. Auguste Dupin, which Bear brought up from Edgar Allan Poe. Anna Capoe, who was Nana from the French novel of the same name in uh, 1880. Jekyll and Hyde. Dick Donovan, the Glasgow detective. Rosa Coote, who we talked about earlier, who was a fictitious dominatrix from Victorian erotica. Olive Chancellor. Uh, Katie Carr. 
which is from the novel What Katie Did, Becky Randall, who is from Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, Polly Whittier, who is Pollyanna, The Invisible Man, Selwyn Cavor, who's from First Men in the Moon, Captain Mars from The Air Pirate, Kwong Lee from The Lamplit Hour by Thomas Burke, Ishmael from Moby Dick, Bre- uh, Broad Arrow Jack from uh, the same name, which was oh, a Petty Dreadful. dreadful. I, I had to look that one up because I was like, is this just a Queequeg stand-in? Or And then I looked it up and I'm like, no, that was actually a Penny Dreadful. The yeah. one person that is in this graphic novel that they still had the rights to, so more could not directly name, was Fu Manchu. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> which I'm sure is probably who he was going for. Yes. Originally. No, that's why he called him the Demon Doctor. Yes. The, the one that I was actually looking for, because I didn't catch actually half of those, because I, yeah, I, I understand some literary stuff, but usually only the, the big ones. Um, When they were talking about the hot, when, when uh, Nemo pulls out the hot air balloon and says, Dr. Ferguson, and I could not figure out from Around the world in 80 days. Yeah. And well, I looked, actually, I, I figured that's where it was from, but I looked that up and I didn't see Dr. Ferguson listed as a character, and I haven't read that one yet. Yeah, I don't know where the Ferguson came from. They referenced Around the World in 80 Days in the movie. Movie, yep. Um, yeah. I think that's where we're getting it from. Yeah. Uh, okay. Dr. Ferguson, I think Dr. Ferguson might be a little bit more Yeah, obscure. because wasn't that Phineas Fogg? Yeah, that was yes. around yeah. the world correct. in 80 Days. And they, that's, that's yeah. the reference they make in the movie. Yes. And that's the character from the novel, but I was like, who the fuck is Dr. Ferguson? Yeah. Right. But I was actually also surprised at the number, like, how they gave tons of nods. Oh, yeah, no, these were just characters that appeared on page. Yes, on page, but... Like, their background talk... I didn't even look that, and I will probably go back. I'm going back to the movie and going. Yes, there was a ton of things that they completely shifted around. Things that were completely different from what the graphic novel was, but the nods are still there. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think that that gives it the flavor that the graphic novel had, without being completely true to the storyline and characters in the graphic novel. It created that same feeling, that atmosphere. One of my favorites was at the very beginning of the movie, because the graphic novel is all talking about this uh, this element that is, you know, going to make things fly, and, you know, is lighter than air and all that fun stuff. Um, and then at the beginning of the movie, they shoot down the hydrogen, they blow up the hydrogen blimps, and I'm, and looking back after reading the graphic novel, I'm like, oh, that's a great nod. Yeah. Back to the graphic yeah. novel, yep. we're like, you know, fuck that, we're not actually doing that storyline. <laughs> we're not... going somewhere else. Right. So, we need to address one of the other big differences between the movie and the novel, and this might be that I just haven't read the expanded world of the novels yet. Um, does Dorian Gray actually show up in the novels later? That was my other question. To my knowledge, no, but I have the list of all forever. And the other question like, is... This is, this is, by the way, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. These are just all... Just do a control F and yeah. let's see if he's in there. Well, I can, I can just look at G. Oh, and by the way, Jason, we're not on the D. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he shows up in multiple volumes. Okay, uh, so he does show up eventually. My yes. other question is, because I want to know, because we've all seen the, the movie at this point, is in the rest of the graphic novels, do we get to see Mina Harker, Mina Murray in the graphic novels, do any of the fun stuff that we get to see her do in the movie? Do, is she actually a vampire, or is she just a human who happens to be badass? She is a vampire. Um, hence the scarf. Right, hence the scarf. Like, the movie is like... The movie has zero fucking chill. Yeah. The movie is like, Mina shows up, she's like, ah, I'm gonna eat this dude. Yeah. Like, the comic actually also, does a very timing. good job. Also, timing. 
timing. Yeah. Yes. Vampire movies were huge in, in the early 2000s. It's so. true, but they were huge for comics, too. I mean, and, and Mina keeps it very close to the chest, which is great. I yeah. like that. Well, but I also think that that's why she was Mina Harker in the movie mm-hmm. and not Mina Murray, like she is in the graphic novel. Right. That actually... with, with, you know, just references to her poor husband and being attacked by a foreigner. and you know. That actually casts the opening sequence with Quartermain in the um, novel in a very different light because mm-hmm. that means that she was laying yes. the victim in yes. that scene. Yeah. That, if she actually does reveal herself, herself to be vampiric later, that means that she was playing the victim in the scene with Quartermain, which casts that scene in a very different light. Absolutely. And gives Mina a whole lot more depth as someone where, where manipulation is her strong suit. Well, and, and we saw that in, in the novel because, okay, spoilers, this is the beginning of the book. Um, she's being attacked. Quartermain finally comes to and helps her, and then he's go- about to be killed, and she stabs the dude in the back. I mean, yeah, but that's stabbing a dude in the back, like... But if she's yeah. just the victim, how does she even yeah. have the mental yeah, wherewithal? Yeah, she were... She's- if- Cowering in the corner. Right, oh my exactly. God. If she were no. a stereotypical Victorian woman, she would have. She wouldn't have touched that sword. She oh, would have not right. touched. Yeah, the, she would have knife. passed out because her corset was too tight. Right. Yikes. Fainting couch. Fainting couch. These yes. things existed. Yeah. Yes. No, I get it. That's fair. No, but I do. I do like that as a different light for the opening scene for the recruitment. That that changes a lot. Well, and I think that that's. I think that. Her, the fact that in the first volume, the first graphic novel, nothing explicit is really said about much of anyone. They either display it, no one says, oh, that's the guy, you know, like, no one says anything about Quartermain. Like, why are they after Quartermain? Oh, well, what aside is from he his is, novels. Well, it's, 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 it's dinosaur he, novels. Well, well be, because he's he's well known for his exploits. It's yes. the legend. It's the legend. It's the legend. But they don't the say only what those time are, anyone yeah. says anything about Quartermain is after the fir- after he's pulled in into uh, the group and there's a fight and Mina says, well, he was purported to be a great pugilist. Oh, yeah, the, the, his, uh, something about, yeah, he, she's writing the letter back to Bond. Right. And something about. She's like, I'm not sure like, why you think he's so great. Like, legends of his <laughs> his exploits are highly overrated or something like that. And I was mm. just like, oh, yeah. I grew up reading yeah. his exploits. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, anybody going hand-to-hand with Hyde is going to have a bad day. Right. But, very right. true. Yeah, very, very true. But, you know, I think that in the graphic novel, aside from Hyde and the Invisible Man, we don't really see why Quartermain and Mina are part of this group, other than the fact that Mina's a good tactician and she's a leader and what have you. Nemo has his gadgets and whatever. Quartermain's just along for the fucking ride. Yeah, but in the movie, I think they do a really good job of establishing everyone's strong suit. Well, but you have to in that type of... Because it's it's a short... Short, short. It, right. And it's part of the standard Hollywood format of, oh, we're getting the team together. Like, yeah, you right. see it in every heist movie, too. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's... Heist movie every... I mean, hell, it happens in the TV series all the time. Let's take a look at Sabrina that we just did. It's like, we gotta get the Scooby gang together. Right. And I and I think, again, it's why if this was done today, it would be much better as a miniseries or as a full TV show if you're gonna do all of the subsequent um, graphic novels because the there was so much packed into that movie so quickly. You know, uh, and in the graphic novel, I can already tell 
tell that if I were to read volume two, there are some mysteries there, like what's going on with Mina and why did Bond, because it's the, the reason that each of these people is picked up is because Bond said so, yeah. you know? So Bond sends them. So why were these the team? Like, why were these the people? And I, and I feel like there is a, a meta plot that is happening that you could really do an awesome string through. You know, if you look at what has been done in other media when it comes to long-standing TV shows, you know, if you decided you were going to do a one-to-five season plot, you know, and, and secure the rights and you're going to go all the way through it. Like, look you're going to bring up Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., aren't you? I'm going to bring up, actually... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm gonna bring up American Gods. Okay, yeah. I mean, okay. so there, there. From what I remember, yes, there is a meta plot. Also, there are scenes that crop up. I believe it is in book two that are disturbing, even for Alan Moore. <laughs> like, there's some stuff in there where you see the depths that Hyde will descend to that get real, low. and, and I, that would be really like. There's some stuff in there that would be really hard. Yeah, and I and I have to make a confession. I own volumes one and volume three. No, one and two. Really? I just looked this morning. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. You do not have three or four, and you do not have the black dossier. I thought that I had volume one and three, and I felt like there was a disconnect when I read them. Okay. That might just be more. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I still think that you could honestly really, I mean, having read as much more as we have at this point in time, I think that maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe if I was directing, I could make a movie out of, uh, and uh, this is just random, but out of the first graphic novel, because I, like I've just kind of gotten to the point where I can kind of cut out some of his dialogue and know that okay we're just doing we're just doing more so if we can we can cram 10 pages of what we just read into about two minutes in a movie because the dialogue's just gonna go faster I, maybe maybe I've just watched too much Whedon but the dialogue's gonna go faster well right? and, yeah. and I think that there are places in the novel where there's dialogue where you don't need dialogue where Absolutely. you can visually tell that part of the story without spending time on dialogue. Yeah, where I think it's some of take... the, I think some of the subtlety, though, would be lost because Jen's right in that there are a lot of mysteries as far as, like, why were these people selected, what's going on, and being able to do a slow heel back on those, like, have the first season, have Mina appear to be just vanilla, be the tactician, be the jack-of-all-trades, and then just leave breadcrumbs along. Mm -hmm. Oh, and right. I'm not gonna right. deny that in this, in this world of, you know, Netflix actually saying out loud that, you know, their TV series are basically designed to be a 12-part movie, that yeah, we're going to get more out of a series. But I'm just saying, for those people that don't have that the time or energy to put into that, we could we could squeeze this into a movie, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Alright. <laughs> and, and not really lose anything significant from the whole thing. Now, it's going to be probably like a three-hour movie. Right. See, and that's that's where, I don't know, with everything that we've reviewed and everything we've looked at, I don't know if maybe the Snyder Cut broke me. Uh, <laughs> the longer the movie is the less you're interested. Yeah, I would rather um, commit myself to a ten episode long uh, TV season than I would a three to four hour long movie. You remember when you know Lord of the Rings? We were sitting in the theater for Lord of the Rings, and you're like, oh my god, two and a half hours. I gotta pee in the middle of the movie, and then we sat there for the Snyder cut and, and peed like eight times, but uh, I didn't lose anything. Well, yeah, right. He just got up, <laughs> let, let the movie run, and came back and said, oh, we're still on sad lamentation music. Okay. <laughs> 
I appreciate that. I feel like thank you for telling me that because I haven't seen either of the cuts, uh, and apparently I'm not missing anything. Check out our episode for the differences in the cuts, and yeah, just watch me. Listen, uh, they both have me. their moments. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the voice of I don't know reason. Not reason. No, not reason. That's not a good look for you. No, not really. <laughs> That's more wheeze. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the. Uh, more sadly politically correct guy and be like, they both have their moments. The only thing that I'm going to tell you is for the love of God, do not watch them with subtitles because your opinion of oh, both yeah. will go straight down the shitter. Turn off the subtitles. Turn off the subtitles. We watch the Snyder Cut with subtitles. And it's not for the dialogue. It's well, not because of the dialogue. It's because of the It's because of the, the descriptions music. of the songs and of then, the music. And the, then the, like the, the, actual the actual lyrics of the songs. Like when you're reading them, they just you're like, oh, fuck you. What? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> a lot yeah. more. Right. Yeah. Um, but we should get back to what we're actually yes. talking yes. about here. Well, okay. Um, I have two questions for the end instead of my normal one. Uh, but I think this one will be fun. And and I can cut out silences if you think. What one character from fiction would you add to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? We're just talking about book one here? Are we talking about the graphic novel or the movie? movie? Right, right, right. No, I'm saying from, for you, for you, yeah. from all of fiction. Oh, who would you add in? Add, add to the graphic just novel or to add the, to the movie? To book one to book or one, the movie. T- to and either. Just to, to a what, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That was, kind of, that was yeah. Reed's question. Sorry. Do you the, mean all of the books? Because they add a lot of characters. Yeah, they add a ton of yeah. characters. Um, just honest, book one. Like, oh man, for me, I would like just one page, maybe even one panel in book one, telling us what the hell happened to Sherlock. Because if we have to put up with fucking Moriarty, I want some Sherlock somewhere amen brother <laughs> i'm down like that's that's my hard one the problem is that if sherlock actually shows up anywhere that puts mina out of a job um that being said if he's playing three-dimensional te- chess then it makes sense but like just give us one panel that like actually tells us that sherlock's not dead or something for me and this is actually reed's fault um i would introduce a foil to nemo um someone who is another pirate uh that that Air he pirate. has that he has had a history with and as you go on you come to find that it is the new version of Zorro so I can have like a, a air pirate Errol Flynn Zorro which Errol is, Flynn or can we have Antonio Banderas well whatever <laughs> which is pretty much the character that I played for years and years was Errol Flynn mixed with Zorro I'm honestly if I had to pick one uh, not super up on my history but as far as other relatively historical movies that I've watched I kind of want to go with Wyatt Earp, but not like Winona Earp, Wyatt Earp, like right. Tombstone Wyatt Earp. Actually, no, not even Wyatt Earp. Let's put in Doc Holliday. I Doc want Holliday. fucking Doc, Doc Holliday in there. And I oh. want, I want, uh, from Tombstone, I can't remember the actor's name now. Why Val Kilmer? Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday Ooh. in there. Yes. Oh, man. Like, yeah. Oh, Screw this, they're full, this Tom Sawyer thing from full, the movie. Full DTs and everything. Oh, yeah. D- <laughs> yeah, like, sitting there drunk off of his ass. Like, being white like, as I have, a sheet and I have sweaty. two guns, one for each of you. Yeah, white as a sheet and sweat yep. his ass off. Like, that's, that's what I want in here. I mean, Moore does do a good job writing interesting and convincing drug addicts. So, like, oh, right? yeah, he, and, he, and, he and um Quartermain would have a lot in common. I, yes. I personally think that that was Val Kilmer's best performance of his life was his role as Doc Holliday in Tombstone. That would be that would be a beautiful yeah. character to include. That would be a lot of fun. More fun in a movie than in, in well, right. Uh, absolutely. Yes. But, absolutely. Uh, plus, we're not going to get Val Kilmer to lose that kind of weight and get back into that role. So. <laughs> 
He's too old now. He's too old to it. Well, uh, the character that is actually playing Doc Holliday from Winona Herb is doing a pretty damn good yeah. job. Yes, yeah. Yes. I, I would yes. take him in, yeah. in substitute yeah. for Val Kilmer. But he's not got the sweaty DTs because he's not actually right. alive. Yeah, because he's immortal. So the reference to another um, Henry Fielding uh, character made me think of Tom Jones. And if you have never read Tom Jones by Henry Fielding, absolutely go do it. It's an amazing, brilliant, brilliant novel. But it's right, also it's also a BBC miniseries. Watch it. It's so good. This is basically the story of a kid who just poor kid, right place, right time. Everything goes right for him. Like hmm. no matter what he does, everything goes right for him. So it's our domino. Kind of. Kind of. Not supernatural and not necessarily that good. <laughs> not luck. that good a luck. Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky. That's yeah. not a superpower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Um, <laughs> speaking of BBC miniseries, if you haven't watched, and I don't remember what year it came out, but there's a BBC miniseries that is just called Jekyll. Yep. That is a modern retake on the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story. It's on Netflix. It is goddamn brilliant. Uh, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. We've got it on the Voodoo because I bought it as soon as I found it. Um, it is an amazing retake of the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story, and I think everybody should watch it. Cool. Oh, by the way, the novel is Tom Jones, A Foundling, okay. is the full title of the novel. But the like uh, miniseries... Well, he was an orphan, okay. so, yeah, I guess. Um, Sorry, I didn't but the, the, the series, the series was just called Tom Jones, which, when I started watching it, I think in the 90s, mid-90s, early 2000s, I thought it was going to be about Tom Jones, the Welsh singer. Not unusual. Yes. <laughs> But I was not disappointed. <laughs> so, Reed, uh, you came into this thinking that there were just two volumes of this. There's three and four. Are you gonna go out and find them? There's more, and more. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back and and reread and uh, dive back into this because I really like the world and there are certain other comics that I am hunting right now that are out of print and so I need something else to fill the gap. <laughs> Damn you, Transmit Volume Three. Oh, um, <laughs> I have it. No, uh, you don't have the omnibus. Oh, no, you're right. Uh, we can talk about the beauty that is Immortal Hulk. Oh, God, we'll so save, good. We'll save that for another episode. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Bear, will you continue to read this? Uh, you got I, volume two sitting right I, over there. I, you know, I love that. I always love that concept. You always say, would you continue to read this? And I'm like, yeah, when we're done with this podcast, like, <laughs> done, done with this podcast. <laughs> like, done, done services. Like, uh, the, the my only real problem with it is it's Alan Moore. So you, it's like picking up an actual novel. You're going to have to dedicate some time. Yes. I Agreed. mean, also, there is a sanity damage cost that comes with reading. Oh, like, I lost that years ago. I can't shotgun him. It's got to get spread out. Like, my, my, you know, White Wolf morality rating, just based off of Alan Moore reading, has dropped, like, two or three points. Yeah, like, uh, reading an Alan Moore book is pretty much like committing Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> At Jen, least once. Nerd. Maybe twice. Jen, you still got three, four, The Black Dossier, and The Nemo Chronicles. That you don't have. I yeah, I'll definitely read more. Plus, more. like six more graphic novels of From Hell that none of us have read. You yet. know, I'm not. I don't know that I would continue with From Hell. From Hell is just it, it, there's it's not it doesn't pull me in like League does. Um, Plus, and the I movie was better. Think oh, I think From the, Hell, movie... the movie From Hell was really good. Yeah, but I think that um, part of the appeal of League is that esoteric Victoriana. I'll give you know, you that. 
it. You, because there was a period of time in my life when I was obsessed with Victoriana, and I know a lot like, about look it. Look around your living room. I'm like, yeah. Oh, when, when is that period over? <laughs> but it's it's something that, like, you know, when you when you have knowledge about something, even if it's not something that you're into anymore, and you delve into something, and they make offhanded references to something that you know, it's a, you know, it's an insider's club. So yeah. yeah. Sure. This is very much, if you are any kind of literary yeah. enthusiast at all, you're going to get some kind of inside joke out of this. Yeah, and, and actually that brings in, I'm going to keep reading these because I'm an English-like mm-hmm. major. Uh, like, not many things hit my, hey, by the way, you remember that 50 grand you spent? Uh, kind of <laughs> kind of trigger. Ouch. Like, not that many Ouch. things, like, hit my, my English major, and this did, and I think the last time that I got, like, interested like this is when we were watching Penny Dreadful. Yeah. Uh, because the way I really, I love covers, I love remixes, I love, uh, you know, when people redo things or reimagine things. Um, and to take established characters like this and weave them together, I've seen it done poorly and I've seen it done well, and this is done well. Example of poorly being, you know, when Madonna remade American Pie. Well, I would I would go to the third season of Once Upon a Time, um, which is when I stopped. Which is about, yeah, about the time I stopped too. Yeah, like it was really good, and they weaved everything together, and it was almost fable esque. Um, and I really liked what they were doing, and then it just too much. Yeah, it fell um, apart. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, Reed, thank you so much for joining us again. It's a in pleasure. person, yeah. live and in person. You're part of the three timers club. It's yeah. a pleasure as always. Uh, I'll see what you guys come up with for next season. Although we might be scraping the bottom of my uh, my my comic uh, collection. That's so. okay. Well, that's that's why you want to come back we because want, we'll we'll introduce I, you to new, new experiences yep. for everybody. Remember, like on our master list, we still have things like R.I.P.D. Oh, oh God, yeah. I love that movie so much. It's so terrible, but it's so good. Oh God, I wasn't expecting <laughs> we couldn't to get, get that ten response. minutes in, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we found our guest. All right. I haven't read the book at all, but I love the movie. Well, uh, tune in in two weeks when we have uh, guest Mark Parr here to talk about The Spirit. That's just damn weird. <laughs> one of Bear's favorite movies in uh, one that he insisted that... Uh, I insisted that you watch before we ever started this thing and you, you fought me and fought me and fought me. And, it's and then good. we were like, oh, and it's a comic book. And I'm like, guess what, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> now it's going to go on your damn podcast. <laughs> Our first Will Eisner that we've ever uh, that we've ever covered, which is uh, a, whole, a whole bit of comic books history that we'll get into. But until then, take it away, Vandello. Can't 
we all just get along my mask is no different than yours pretty pictures on the screen but nothing's ever as it seems